This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Great. Okay, we're going to jump straight into it because we uh, need to pick up some speed. Will you fasten your seatbelt? Just go like this. Just go, just go like this. Great. Okay, so the past couple of weeks we've been talking about, um, you know, Gideon and some judges and some people that uh, really, in the context of um, changing their world, um, did not just conform to things around them, but they were transformed by knowing God. And then last week we had the angel Gabriel here with us in person, quite a big angel. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about, this is a sort of almost um, small group Sunday, but we're going to talk about a prophetic people that understand why God would join us together in relationship. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to a church, and um, when it comes to church in general, uh, people would decide on like, hey, I like this church because the worship is nice. I like this church because the people are nice. I like uh, the church because the chicks are nice or the dudes are nice. I like them, you know, because um, or the fellowship is nice or the food afterwards or the coffee is nice. So many people make decisions based on the outward or their own consumer desires. But I want to jump into Daniel chapter 1. There was a group of people in the Bible that were part of a system. And that system they knew that was either that system was going to change them or they were going to be changed agents in that system. They're going to understand why they are there. They are people and in relationship on a mission. Uh, and so some of these slides will post it on the group. If you're on the group for tonight, you will get all the slides on there. Um, if not, then get on the group or share it with one another. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And then the king instructed Aspinaz, the master of these eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. So he's choosing a group of men out of this, um, out of the Israel, out of the tribe of Judah, especially to come and serve in his palace, as whom they might teach the language and lit literature of the culture. Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. They gave Daniel, Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So yeah, for a period of three years, the, these couple of men, these band of brothers were drawn into a system. And the system was there for one thing. It was to conform them. It was there to change them. Uh, they actually got names, and the names they got were of the gods of, um, of Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon. And so this Babylonian system, when they took over a country, it was to enforce their culture. It was there to change the culture. And so there was a lot of challenges on these guys. And so later in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it's not on the screen, says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God, say, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Yo, thank you for your enthusiasm over there, okay? So, so yeah, was this system called a Babylonian system. And uh, Babylon was, was sort of a culture that was known by pride, power, prestige, pleasure. And so 
All of us, if you as a Christian don't know that there's a massive challenge on your identity, firstly as who you are, uh, why we are here, if, if you just go through this life, it is so easy to live with a worldly culture but still think you're a Christian. It's, it's so easy to come to church and be a consumer, you know, and so um, these scriptures, and for three years, you can see how uh, Daniel and his friends said, hey, we, we're not going to eat of all these delicacies, we're not going to partake of these things, although they even had names that these other gods had in Nebuchadnezzar's, in, in the Babylonian system, and they were trained in the language, so uh, you must imagine how difficult it was for them not to conform, not to just go with the flow. But yet we see uh, this group, and especially Daniel and his, his three brothers, standing up and saying, hey, we're not going to let this, Babel, this thing of Babylon actually take over. You know, the Daniel in, the Babylon, in Babylon was a culture set against the purposes of God, a human society, like I said, that glories in pride, power, Prestige and pleasure. Uh, can we go to the next slides, please? Are we stuck? Okay. So the, <clears throat> there, there's a scripture I read. Daniel served three political regimes. He advocates for the lives of pagan philosophers. He interprets the dream of a volatile king. He serves God as a statesman. He had the right mindset to actually cultural, culturally engage one of the most challenging times. And I believe as the church of Jesus Christ... We've come to that time again where we need Daniels, we need Jeremiah's, we need Esther's, we need the people of God that says, hey, I'm, I don't just want to conform to what's happening around me because there's so many isms flooding our world. And so here we see this beautiful picture of these guys. And, and so a couple of things that we're going to look at tonight was there to keep them focused and keep them Know on that path of knowing God. So if you go to the next slide, the first thing that was so important, they had a dynamic culture of encountering God. They knew the voice of God. They loved God. And because of that, they did not compromise in a world that was just washing over them. You can just imagine the pressure they were on. And so you and I need to say not just, in my heart do I love Jesus, but I want to love Jesus with my mind. I want to love him with my whole life. And that means that I don't conform, I transform. I'm transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is your goal. Your goal in life is not to do great things for God, but is to become like Christ to a broken world. Can I get amen? That's your purpose. Some people say like, oh, you have amazing purpose. No, you don't have a purpose. Sorry. You have a calling maybe to go and be a doctor, be an attorney, be, do all that stuff, but that's not who you are. Your job description is not who you are. First, you are a child of God. And to represent Christ well means I live a transformed life. Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. What do you think are the patterns of this world? Quickly turn to somebody next to you. Just say one thing. What do you think? Are the patterns in this, of this world that we live in, some of the challenges. I said one, consumerism is one. Individualism is one. Okay, are you, are you with me? Are you with me? So maybe, maybe a picture, um, we, uh, we have a team of people that reach out to the uh, trans parties. So trans parties, I'm not going to ask how many of you have been at trans parties, but some of them are quite wild. So from, seven, uh, from 5 o'clock on a Friday till 12 o'clock on a Sunday, it's doof, doof, doof music. Some, there's a lot of drugs being used. There's a lot of right through the night. People really go crazy, and they're, hap they're happening all around us. I don't think so much now with COVID, but we have a team that goes out to these trans parties and then they minister there. They set up a tent. They don't do Christian stuff and put Bibles there and crosses. They just put their uh, free, free dream interpretation, free future 
um, acknowledgement. So it's just like we call it prophecy. So we just unchristianize the the words. And then the people come. Then they come in there and say like, hey, who are you guys? Who's your medium? Then we say, yeah, Jesus is our medium. It's the only medium, but we go through that medium to God the Father. You know, so people are like, oh, yeah, okay, you can pray for us. Um, because, you know, people in the world are actually quite open to hear the truth. But we had these two guys, they were, they were a bit wild, and so we didn't know that. But, but then we, one night we came, now there's a dance floor, massive dance floor, so, so hundreds of people and young people would be on these dance floors. And so, but then at the store, what they would do is they would, our people, the two guys especially, but they didn't tell us, they bought face paint, but only like glow-in-the-dark face paint, you know? So everyone that came into the stall, uh, they face painted, you know? And so the evening when the lights were put on on this dance floor, we looked around and we just saw everyone on the dance floor had a cross, had a John 3.16, Jesus loves you. It felt like a Christian transport. You know? <laughs> so when the lights went off, these people were shocked out of their system. They thought, like, what happened? You know? <laughs> so we went back to the tent. We asked him, like, Peter, was it you? Yeah, they said, yo, we thought it was a great plan, you know? <laughs> because he just saw scriptures, all the faces were, and all the people were quite shocked to think, like, there's just scriptures all around him because people are quite high on the drugs, you know? But um, <clears throat> why am I telling that story? Because sometimes, you know, we... <clears throat> It's almost like a picture of what happens to us today. People walk into our lives, the media stuff, and, and they paint a lot of stuff on you and try to almost take your identity as a Christian from you without you knowing it. And when the lights go on, you suddenly realize like, oh, Khuna, the world, world has taken over the church. And so the message of the media blur, is blurring the boundary between truth and falsehood. Loneliness, depression, and anxiety has risen dramatically among young people today. If I would ask in this room, how many of you struggle with heaviness, with anxiety, with fear? 90% will probably say, like, I can't cope. Science shows us that this thing increases your anxiety levels with about 70%. Fear of making the wrong choice, fear of disappointing people, fear of missing out, fear of living a substandard life. FOMO. Any FOMO people here, right? Just be honest. Just be, oh, yeah, no. And so, so, so that's the challenge of the day is are you going to conform or, you, or are you going to be transformed? It's a massive question, but through the ages, the church and the people, the Christians were supposed to not be conformed, but be transformed. And so God calls us to this thing called discipleship. And what, what are some of these things? I'm going to just run through a list quickly. Is what are true disciples? Are people that follow Jesus through obedience. People that hear the voice of God through intimacy. We're intimate with Him through creating habits of devotion. Habits of devotion. It's not just once a week, not just at small group and maybe at, I come to church once every three weeks when it suits me or when I emotionally feel or the weather is bad, then I go to church. No, I have a transformational relationship with Christ. I know my true identity in Christ. And this is what we're talking about tonight. I develop muscles of cultural discernment. I love and I study the word of God I commit to a spiritual family that bear one another's burdens, and I live a life full of the Spirit. These are some of the fruit that true Christians, normal Christians, should have, biblical Christians. But unfortunately, because we are in an entertainment business, we don't know that sometimes the church looks just like the world. And we will never change the world if we try to attract the world with the things of the world. Because then the world is going to feel welcome, but God is not going to feel welcome, and there'll be no power. And so, to be a resilient disciple, to be somebody that follows God, you need to make a decision. I want to be part of that Daniel group of people. I want to live a life that years from now, my children's children will be able to say, wow, 
I had a grandma that stood up for the truth. I had a grandpa that didn't just conform and just went with the flow. He just missed a bean through the world, you know? So we need to raise up people and ourselves in that place. So, so part of the things that Daniel and his friends were challenged was, was, was the whole issue of identity. Everyone in this room, we want to belong somewhere. We, we, we want to we wanna feel like, wow, I, I want to feel people know me. People, people have recognized who I am. And so true identity, and I'm going to say this so often we have to say, true identity comes from what your creator says about you, the one who created you. Not true identity. And this is the conformity of the world. What the, the world says, how you find your identity is by defining your own identity. By looking inside yourself. By believing whatever you want as long as it does not affect society in a bad way. By pursuing the things you desire the most, living your truth and achieving your dream. By conforming, to society, by conforming to society, but not by conforming or trans, being transformed by Christ. So the challenge is, is like, where do you look for your identity? It's only in Jesus. It's only the one who created you. But no, but the world says this and the, the you know, I was, I was joking the other day we were in a meeting with a bunch of students and everyone had white shoes on. Everyone that has got white shoes on tonight, will you please stand? Wow. No, no, remain standing, remain standing. Now... <clears throat> I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you. You're not sinners. I'm just realizing, like, how impractical is white shoes? But it's, it's just like, it's, it's like crazy. It will never work with me. It will, it's just not, it's, it looks beautiful on you, but some guys, you know, you can't play soccer with those shoes. You just can't, like, we love the people with white shoes on, but who told people to wear white shoes? I think it's the most impractical. Now, if nobody in church is going to, no, no, you can, you can be seated. It's not like a shameful thing. It's just like, it's amazing. Within two months, every three months, everyone is wearing white shoes because it's just cool, you know? But where do we, where do we hear that, huh? Pierre, how did you decide to wear white shoes? Come. <laughs> uh, the shoes are on sale. Oh, oh okay, okay. Anyone else going for the sale? Anyone else going for the sale? <laughs> but it's crazy. Now, suddenly we believe white shoes is the instinct. So everyone, I, I need to buy white shoes. I need to buy white shoes. I need to buy, you know, I'll just spill coffee on there and it just won't work. Two weeks later, it will be brown shoes with me. But, but you know, that's probably why the rest of you are only wearing brown. But Michal, Michal, come here. In the free state, this is white. It's his only shoes, okay? It's Fellis, okay? Oh, yeah, can you see? It's beautiful, okay? People from the States, you know? But sometimes the people in the free state is about 12, 15 years behind. Uh, but in any case, I didn't say anything, okay? So. But be careful that the world doesn't, like, creep in when you're not awake or aware of it, and suddenly it puts identities on you that you will never be able to live up to. And so more than ever, we are, as the church, challenged by this digital Babylon. <laughs> A digital Babylon that tries to tell you what you need, what you need to wear, where you... What, what makes sense of your life? We Google everything. We go, I'm not against the internet, but be careful as to what is truth and what is like, is portrayed as truth. Be careful, and that's why we said a couple of weeks ago that you need to check the fruit of people's lives. Don't just listen to sermons online if you don't know the person, if you don't know the fruit of their lives, if you don't know where they're coming and what's happening in their lives and, you know, what do they stand for? You know, you can't just 
Go with the flow. It takes a, a dead fish to flow with the river, and it takes an alive fish to swim against it. And if Christians in society will not stand up for the truth, the world will wash over Christianity. It's happening in the West. And especially because we're silent. I'm not saying be radical, stand on the street corner and shout at people. People don't listen. We need to love people. We need to get into their world. And so one of the things Daniel did, which was like, wow, he was actually at a stage when he interpreted the dreams. The king said like, hey, kill all the other people. They're all false. And Daniel said, no, 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 don't kill them. But Daniel was 10 times more intellectual than the people around him. If there ever were people in the politics and engineers and doctors, Christian doctors, we need it's now. Izel, I want to pick on you. Will you stand up quickly? Just, I want to just sort of quick on you. Now, Izel is a medical doctor. She's got five children, one adopted. Amazing husband. They're small group leaders here with us. But you know what Izel does? She leads more people to Christ than what she just gives them medical stuff. Because most of the problems in this life is fear-driven, anxiety-driven. So thank you for being a follower of Christ, Izel. Let's give her a round of applause, okay? I don't know how she does it. So, so the first thing is this devotion to love God with all of your heart. Daniel and them, they fasted for 21 days. They, they looked, they were they never in this massive pressure of friendship groups, of this king and this Babylonian system pressed upon them. Daniel just said, no, we're not going to eat of the king's delicacies. The ruler that was supposed to train them said, like, hey, no, 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 we're going to all die. He says, no, no, just check us up. I'm going to trust God. And then after that, they were more healthy than all the rest. Because why? They knew God. They knew why God placed them in a world that was just overthrown by stuff coming against them. The second thing that this group of people did is they had intentional relationships. And part of that intentionality in their relationship means like, hey, I'm not just floating through as a Christian, but God places me with another group of people with a purpose, with a kingdom in mind, with eternity in mind. And so the first part of that thing, and we're going to look at three or four quick things, I hope we're going to jump into it, is to have cultural discernment. What do we mean with these big words? Is to be... Being part of a community that learns and grows together under the authority of the Bible. This is now a couple of big words. Sorry for the free state people. Michal will interpret later, okay? All the Afrikaans people. Where's Chris? 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 Moet ek vir jou in Afrikaans praat? Okay, I gaan nou vir jou in Afrikaans vertaal. Okay, but so, it's the ability to compare the beliefs, values, customs, and creations of the world we live into the world we belong to. It's called to have a biblical worldview. You see, there are many Christians today that love Jesus in their heart, but they don't love him with their mind and in their practice, in their worldview. So you'll come and say like, hey, what do you think about abortion? No, 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 you know, God just has grace. What? What? You can't call yourself a Christian according to the Bible. There is grace. But we have to defend those who cannot defend themselves. It's part of Christianity. Oh, it's getting quiet now. Why do you say it like that? That's judging. The Bible says, I can't judge, but you know what will judge? The Word. The Word of God judges. Because God doesn't judge to destroy. God judges to redeem. God judges to restore because He loves but the word of God is, a sharp, is like a two-edged sword. So whenever you read the Bible, it will judge the condition of your heart. Eh? Sometimes I feel miserable when I read the Bible. I think like, oh my God, no. I feel unsaved. You know, when I go to the church in the Middle East, I feel very unsaved. I come back on my knees and say, Lord, help, you know. But be careful that you do not live a cultural Christianity 
focus that you live a biblical Christianity. And that's called, I need a biblical worldview. You know, there's some people like William Wilberforce. There's a, a movie, an old movie, go watch it. Amazing Grace, beautiful. How four people, because they believed God, abolished the slave trade. Him and three of his friends lived their whole life. They realized, like, we will not, we will die for this cause of Christ. For the inhumane way people are being treated. And then through a miracle, God used him to abolish the biggest trade in the world. He, came, he brought all the stock markets crashing down. Because he understood. I can't just have my Christianity in four walls on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. So reaching your world, we have critical thinkers in the marketplace. You have, we have to be a holy people, set apart, not compromising people. God wants to raise you up to stand up for something. Because if you're not going to stand for something, you are going to stand for nothing. <laughs> it takes one person, one group of people that in the spiritual realm agrees with what God says. And you know what? Then his power will come. So first learn to agree with God. First learn to agree with the group of people around you that says, hey, we're going to trust God that this university that started as a Christian university to raise up missionaries, to raise up Christian leaders, this school, the oldest school probably in South Africa, was started by a bunch of Christians that said, we want to raise up young boys for the kingdom of God. And other people have hijacked that. Other people, liberal thinkers and all these different people. But you need to decide, are you going to conform or are you going to transform? Are you going to just go through the flow? Are you just going to go with the flow and then eventually, 15 years from now, the West, in the West we will not be able to gather like we're gathering tonight because of persecution. Ooh, it's getting very silent. So first, when God joins you together and when he puts you in a small group or he puts you together, it's not just to play church, church and to be happy. It's actually to say like, Lord, we, we're speaking into the spiritual realm. We, our battle is not against the world out there and against people, but it's to make a statement of who Christ is. <laughs> he is the way, the truth and the life. And he was either a lunatic or he was the son of God because you can't make statements like that. It's either true or it's a lie. You can't be in between with Christ. Did you know that? You can't say to Jesus, Jesus, one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world. It, it doesn't exist if you hold on to the claims of Christ. Sure, stuff, but it's true. The second thing that uh, this group of people did is they lived in the light. They lived in accountability with each other and they backed each other because they realized it may cost their life. James 5 verse 13 was one of the scriptures we read. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It comes from the, the effective fervent prayer. The powerful prayer of believers come from the place of living in the light with each other. Being vulnerable with another group of people. You can't go through life thinking you're going to be a Christian and say, my Father in heaven, hallowed be my name. You say, no, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's one of the two. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's no thing like individualism in the Bible. Did you know that? There's no thing like God is your personal Savior. Most of the times in Scripture even was read in community. It's not supposed to just be me, me and myself, I, me and myself, the Holy Trinity. God invites you to so much more. And Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're talking about a kingdom set of rules or live ways we live as a community. We're not just come together because, hey, nice girls, nice guys, this is awesome. We are prophetic people. And if you even just go and study the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, it is awesome. You will, it will change your life. Go and study how much of the Old Testament spoke about the Messiah and how accurately the Bible prophesied Jesus coming. It's, it's just 
It is amazing. It's mind-boggling. So what we do in, in this part is that you and I need to learn to be vulnerable. We need to learn to live in an environment of confession with each other. And it is difficult. Why? Because if I had the time to go from one person to another and say, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you got hurt in a relationship. Tell me what, what happened, you know, when you were young and people just shamed you or maybe abused you. And all of us have got a story. So it is so easy just to draw into individualism. It's so easy just to to live with putting up walls between us and other people. But God says, I, I want to invite you to something much bigger, but it's going to cost you. It's not going to be easy. And we see this with this group of people, just so amazing with Daniel and his friends. The third thing that this group of intentional relationships did is they were missional. They had kingdom-minded relationships. Listen to this. When um, the fiery furnace was there, and now the king says, uh, there was a decree going out and say, okay, guys, those of you who don't bow to all these statues and all the idols, you're going to be thrown into the fire. So they heated up the fire. But listen to what the friends of Daniel said here. It says, if that is the case, our God, whom now this is what they're saying to the king, the strongest king in the world at that stage. It says, if that is the case, King. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O King. Whoa, what a boldness. Eh? <laughs> Just like, but if not, if he does not deliver us, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, that, that's the second part of our relationships. Are we just in relationships for what we can get out of it, with God first and with each other? But these men said, no. We believe God is going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow to the idols because we are eternal beings. We live for something much bigger than just our own happiness or our own breakthrough, our own next thing. Sure. You see, the world says now is all that matters. Get it now, get fulfilled now, consume now, go to the next emotional thing now, fill yourself now. But the most valuable resource you have in your life is called time. You have one shot at it. You can't buy back time. You can't buy somebody else's time. The most valuable thing God has given you is time. You've got one shot at it. How are you going to live that life? Scripture says we must redeem the time for the days are evil. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I like that smile on your face. Why are you looking so good? <clears throat> okay, now we're going to pick up some speed. Okay, great, great, great. So we're talking about This group of people that, that understood something, they understood why God joined them together. It wasn't just because it was nice. It wasn't just because, hey, we're having a great time. We're hiked together. And I'm especially talking in the context of small groups because that's the life of our church. We know we have almost 300 small groups. We're not just there together because, hey, we, somebody can bake nice carrot cake or somebody can like, hey, bring a family pack of Doritos and the small group around the corner can't, you know. I used to have small groups, or I still have, but yeah, in Paul Ruiz, and I, I just, if I brought pizza, there was 170% of, of the small group was there. If there was no food, around about 60%, you know. It was just, it was just crazy, so, so I bribed the guys with food, but um, sometimes you just have to use that to get them there, but uh, then I would buy like 10 packets of Doritos chips, these big packets, and it was like, gone, yeah? Gone, and I thought like, wow, how can a 16-year-old guy eat so much? It's normally the thin guys, you know? It seems like there's a hole. It just goes down, you know? You have to find it down there. You think it's the big guys. No, no, it's the thin ones. Ladies, watch out for those thin guys. You're going to need a lot of faith to feed them one day. But so, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's multiplied worms in there somewhere. I don't know. We... That's a joke, it's a joke. Okay, but so, so 
the fourth thing is if we have intentional relationships and this is what the world doesn't know today every person god places you in you need to be intentional about that relationship intentional to grow together intentional to be part of and this is the next slide it says being around fellow believers we want to be around and become like we need to change it says there the imbalance of program over presence because we become the church we don't go to church this generation you and i all under the age of 23 22 we don't know how to be present with other people anymore most people if you look them in the eyes and you have a conversation with them they, they can't we don't know how to be present with god and we don't know how to be present with each other because we're distracted every 30 seconds something must happen we must be entertained so we we're being brainwashed to be distracted and to think that god is boring because the world will keep you busy like this all the time and you'll go for it until you learn to stop and say, wow, God. The beauty of his holiness. The beauty of his holiness. The thing is just God doesn't scream. He doesn't shout. He says, you must draw near to me and then I will draw near to you. But we need to learn to become quiet we need to not just fill our programs anymore with a lot of stuff we need to learn to be present with god and just to learn to be present with each other and if you're really struggling just go into nature just go hike just just go to the mountain tour and find a wife club btk what do they call it these days you know your car i'm gonna I said, yeah, invite people to your dinner table. And this is, this is something I want to challenge all of us to do. Learn to eat together, not just go on a rush somewhere. Take a picnic blanket and go and sit and share hot. Because most of us grew up in an environment where you don't sit around the table and you talk to each other with your parents, with your siblings, mostly like a fight over the food or something you know we're all like human families but we need to learn to connect with each other's heart because we can't do that anymore screens allow us to avoid the hard work of being human and engaging in real vulnerable relationships because we're all isolated but deep inside of you there's a longing a longing to know god because god made you with that input desire for him and that's why the holy spirit wants to take you he wants to when you give him access he wants to show you the mysteries of god it's the most amazing thing the mysteries the bible says the hope of glory christ inside of us the hope of glory the mystery of the ages that christ comes to live inside of us and now he says i'm going to make a dwelling inside of you that body of yours become my temple i want to come and dwell with you i don't just connect with you once in a while i don't just show up on a wednesday or a sunday suddenly there's something much deeper that you can connect with through the holy spirit but you're going to need to learn to say no to the distractions second last slide creating meaningful relationships in the church can't be simply about encouragement and pos positivity meaningful relationships often arise out of difficult disagreements along our journey together part of being vulnerable is sticking around long enough to work them out real people messy people vulnerable people making mistakes learning from each other learning to disagree committed to building together honoring each other loving fervently it's just it is just so amazing when you and i begin to learn to do real relationships but it's going to be messy there's a book and many of the quotes that comes out of this sermon tonight comes from David Kinnaman, Faith for Exiles. I've quoted a lot of these. This quote comes out of that book. Where they evaluated who were the guys as disciples that 10 years later were still following Christ. 
It's people that learn to say no and learn to say yes. Yes to the right things and no to things that seem right. But it will distract you as a Christian. So what is the invitation? The invitation for you is, and I is to bring our mess, to bring our messiness, to bring our vulnerability to a, another group of people in the light of God, in a pursuit of the word of God and say, hey, I want to walk with you. I want to fight with you. Not fight against with you like this, fight with you against the enemy because we only have one enemy. I want to learn what covenant relationship is about because the world is coming like a tsunami over the church. And the only thing that will stand is our love, our passion for Christ and our fervent love for one another. So many people say like, hey, no, I prayed about this and I just feel and boop, there they go. And I think like, what? You are so deceived because you're forming your relationships about a happening, a happiness and not about joy. And so the only way, now I'm saying this to a bunch of young people because we're going to save you months and years so that you can be like um. Umiyani and Tani Alna and say, we married for 53 years, not married 30 times for 53 years. Because their generation didn't have all this stuff. You know, I, I remember we, many of you, you know, you just on a click of a button have access to anything you want. Especially pornography, especially sexual stuff. You know how we got access to pornography? We had to plan for three weeks. When I was at school, to first get out of the residence, sneak out, first get enough money, and then we knew there was one cafe in Paul that had scope magazines, and we would sneak out. We had a whole game plan strategy. We almost prayed for it. No, we didn't. We didn't, but we, just, we were just very unsaved. Yeah? But you know how much effort it took us just to get, and then it wasn't, yeah, I'm not going to give you any detail, but in any case, so, but, um, it was a massive effort. It took us a month to get one magazine, you know. And, it, and it, it's not the hardcore stuff people can see today. Today, one, one second, and you're in another world. But the crazy thing is with God, you are already in His world. When you're born again, when you're spirit-filled, you have access right now to a realm that is... Because Scripture says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Holy Spirit will take you to places and the most greatest adventure that you've ever known in your life. It is not boring to follow God. It is the most amazing thing to follow God. It is, it is awesome to follow God. It is just like you are so fulfilled. It's tough. It's hard. But, but you literally, you know, I remember standing with Angus one day on the just before he went to preach there in um, in Jerusalem. And so we're standing there and we, he lo he's looking at me. He says like, I, I, I just want to pinch myself. I just want to knep myself, you know. He doesn't understand already Afrikaans. But he says just like, I can't believe it's so awesome to follow God, you know. And I say, yes. Wow. Amen. Come on. Don't fall for the lie that God is boring. The challenge is just we are distracted so much through stuff and wanting identity and belonging. And there's some of you that feel very isolated. And so what are some of the practical things you can do is join a local church. It's God's answer to reach this community. Pray about it. Don't just go for the best worship or the best chicks are. You pray about it. God, where do you want me to join? And then you join there. You get planted in the house of God. It's not like a tree that jumps around. These big trees around, they don't jump around from week to week. They can only withstand the winds because their roots are so deep. You need to be rooted in Christ. Join a small group. Okay, if you're not in a small group, especially in the times we're going in, you know, there's a little card on your, there's two cards on your, on your chair, small group Sunday today. One is, I want to join a small group. Don't say, oh, nobody contacted me from the office. You find a small group and you say, like, hey, guys, 
I want to serve you. I want to learn what it means to have a real relationship. Not just to go to the social club and soki and go and climb the mountain. No, I, I want to be part of a godly community. And then if you are part of a godly community, you've got a little card like this. And these little spots on the six open names that you must go and write in and ask God, Lord, who's not part of my community? I want to start to pray for them every day. Every day. Because that's what we do. We pray before God. We say, God, we want to call out for the names of people that don't know you. And then we don't just come together because, hey, we see if we can fit it in on a Wednesday or we can see if we can fit in church on a Sunday because, hey, we just, our program is so full. How many of you, let me ask the ladies here, if I go to my wife, Louise, we are oh, married for 23 years now, and I say to her, do you know what, you know, my schedule is quite full, but on Wednesday night, 6 p.m., I'll give you an hour and a half. And on Sunday night, 6 to 8, we can go to church together. We can have this great relationship, eh? How many of you ladies would like a husband like that, that just fits you into his program, hour and a half here, hour there? Come, ladies, I want to, nobody. How many of you guys want a wife like that one day? Nobody. But you know how many times we do that with God? We sort of fit him somewhere into our program. It's just another tick box. But you'll never discover the mystery, the fullness, the beauty of his holiness, because you have to come close. Somebody used this picture. He says, if you drive around there in the Kruger National Park and you see a lion or a rhinoceros, rhinoceros out there, it's very small. The closer you come, the bigger he gets. Maybe God is just that old man with his stick up there. And you've, you and I become masters to keep him at a distance. But tonight he wants to change your life to show you. You need to give him the access and say, Jesus, come take control of my life. Jesus, I want to be part of that Daniel generation. See, we grow together as a group of friends. We serve somewhere together. We are missional together. You know where I found my wife? I looked at the, when there was the student camp, I went to the kitchen, and I realized, like, here's a lady that can bake. And then we went on missions together in 1995. Whew. And she was in the army. She can shoot better than I. We don't have any disagreements. She just puts the gun on the table, and then it's just like, <laughs> I submit. She was in the secret service of the army, so I can't even lie. Apparently, when I want to lie, there's a little dimple appearing right here. So I can't. I live in the light, you know. There's just nothing I can lie about. Marry a wife like that, okay, that has discernment. But... um. If we don't serve together, we don't grow together. And you need to be missional in your relationships, intentional and missional about your relationships. And that's what we see so beautifully with this group of people. They prayed for the lost. They, they, they said like, hey, we're going to change this nation. Most people in South Africa have lost hope for this nation. They're just looking for a ticket to go to Europe. But God has placed you here. As a Christian, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to pray where you're going to stay and where you're going to live. It's, that's not an option for a Christian. Oh, I want the five best options because it's much cheaper to live there and have a better job there. Then you're not missional. Because if God calls you to go to a place, do you know what? He will provide for you. I remember going to Nepal and I'm going to end with these Two stories quickly, but the one, well, let's just have one. But So God tells us as a mission team, he says, go to Nepal. Uh, I want to bring a massive revival in Nepal. And so 
we start to Google, we start to look. We had a friend, and we realized, no, but the kingdom, the Hindu kingdom, there is ruling. The king is ruling. There's lots of challenges between the rural people and the kingdom in Kathmandu, and lots of fighting. So there's basically a war that broke out. So one of the ladies in our team had a dream. Or well, she wasn't in the team, but she, she was a prophetic person. She had a dream and said, hey, you need to go in June. And so we started to pray, and we said, okay, Lord. And the Lord gave us specific dates, 12 days. He said, I'm going to open a door into a nation that is completely shut to anyone to go into. Nobody can go there because of the civil war and because of the, the stuff that's happening. And the Lord says, you must go. And so... We said, whoo. So we started to pray. We got a date to go during that time. And the biggest challenges came from unbelieving believers. Oh, you're wasting all of this money. Did you hear, really hear from the Lord? I call them the critical Christians. They always know what they're against. They always, they always have 10 opinions. And so, so it was tough. Even people in the church <laughs> said like, oh, you're just wasting so much money because it was, it was very expensive to fly there, to fly through India to Kathmandu. And so we're praying and we're praying. And as the more we pray, the more the war continues and it just escalates. And we just say like, Lord, we missed you completely. But you said, and specific dates. I remember we were supposed to land this Saturday. The most amazing thing happened. A day before we had to leave, a ceasefire was called. The ceasefire stopped a day after we came back. We marched around the king's palace there in the middle of Kathmandu every day. That's all the Lord told us. Just go, pray, march around the palace seven times every day. Then you go back to your room and you pray. Say, Lord, let your kingdom come in Nepal. About five years later, we catch up with people in China. We had a mission to the underground church in China. We met a group of people there that was there at exactly the same time as us, had exactly the same instructions from another country, a group of Christians praying for revival in Nepal. We marched the morning. They marched every evening. Crazy. Exactly the same 12 days. Three months later, the kingdom fell. Democracy came into being. Today, 20 years later, Nepal has the, got the biggest revival in the world. Most pl planted churches, most Christianity is growing at a massive rate in the nation of Nepal. Amen. Let's give God applause. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.